Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you. I appreciate that. I really appreciate you joining us this morning because today is a very special day for us here at Cedar Creek Church. It's not just Palm Sunday for us. Today is our church's 25th birthday. So happy birthday, Cedar Creek. Yeah, on, on Palm Sunday, 1993, around 100 folks gathered that Sunday morning at a rented daycare center on Pine Log Road here in Aiken for the first public worship service of Cedar Creek Church. And here we are today, a quarter of a century later, where some 2,000 people will gather this morning across three regional campuses located in two different counties. Some hundred plus people are joining us online to worship and a small group of folks are gathered in Hookstown, Pennsylvania in a firehouse, a fire station to worship and praise God on this Palm Sunday. We have come a long way, baby, or as I like to say, we are not in Kansas anymore, Toto. It is truly amazing what God has done. But here's what's even more amazing. Certainly much has changed at Cedar Creek Church in the last 25 years. But one thing has stayed the same. One thing has never changed at our church. And that is this has always been a church with a deep desire to reach out to people who are far from God and help them find their way back to God. And that phrase, helping people find their way back to God, is not just a slogan. It's not just a statement that we put on t-shirts and websites and Facebook pages. It is the heart of who this church has always been. And my prayer, my hope, is that will always be the heart of Cedar Creek Church. But what I want us to understand is that reaching out to others, sharing the good news of Jesus, is not just something for us collectively as a church to do, but it also is to be a way of life for all of us who are Christ followers. We're all called to share the good news of Jesus with the people that he brings into our lives. And let's just be honest. That is somewhere between terrifying and extremely awkward when we think about doing that. When we think about sharing our faith, it kind of freaks us out a little bit. We're not comfortable with it. We feel unqualified by that. And so that's why the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about how you can be a reacher without having to be a preacher. How you can allow God to work in and through you to make a positive difference to impact the lives of the people around you. And so today, I want to wrap up this series by simply talking about how to live the reacher lifestyle. How reaching out to others can be not just an event we do to get ready for Easter Sunday, but how it can be a part of the natural rhythm 
of all of our daily lives. How it can become more of more of who we are and what we are all about. And so today, to help us do that, I want us to look at two very ordinary guys that Jesus called to live the Reacher lifestyle. Their names are Peter and Matthew. If you've been around church or familiar with the New Testament, you've probably heard those names before. What you may not realize about these two gentlemen is that they were as different as day and night. I mean, they were on opposite ends of the spectrum of the culture of that day. Peter, who was Simon, we know him as Peter, but his original name was Simon. He was a blue-collar fisherman. He lived in the rural part of Galilee, ran a small family fishing business. He kind of had a lot of rough edges. He was a very faithful religious man, but, but he was kind of a, a roughneck, so to speak. Matthew, on the other hand, was more of a city boy, a wealthy man. A man who had kind of abandoned his faith and his people in order to pursue success financially. So these guys, were they're on opposite ends of the spectrum. It would be like a Trump supporter and a Bernie Sanders supporter, right? You couldn't get any further apart from that. In fact, the only thing that these two guys had in common is they, that they would have both been voted most likely to never be used by God to do anything, let alone reach other people. And yet, that's exactly what they do, and it's what Jesus calls them to do. And so we, as we unpack Jesus' calling of these two men to live a reacher lifestyle, it not only is going to share some really amazing stories from the Bible, but it has a lot of practical implications for our lives. In fact, I believe Jesus calling Peter and Matthew teaches us four keys to being a reacher. Four things you have to do to live a reacher lifestyle. So let's jump in. Number one, the first key to being a reacher is just realizing that it is beyond my abilities. Reaching out, making a difference, being used by God to impact somebody else's life is not something we will ever be able to do on our own. It will take so much more than just our effort, just our talent, even just our desires to be used by God. God has to supernaturally intervene in our lives, in the lives of those around us, and in the circumstances that we go through. In Luke chapter 5, the Gospel of Luke, so if you've got a Bible or a Bible app, you can turn there. We find Jesus launching his public ministry. After 30 years of living in Nazareth, working in the carpenter shop, Jesus decides to take his ministry publicly. He's been baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. He spent 40 days being tempted by Satan in the wilderness. And now he comes out of the wilderness and he begins to travel around the region of Galilee, teaching and preaching to crowds of people. And very early on, Jesus' ministry gains a lot of traction. He almost immediately begins to draw large crowds whenever he teaches. One particular morning, Jesus is teaching along a lake shore in Galilee. 
And as he's teaching, the crowd not only gets bigger and bigger, but they begin to push in and get closer and closer to him. In fact, they get close, he backs up so everybody can see and hear, and they just keep pushing in further. And he keeps backing up and backing up until eventually he runs out of shoreline, and he's literally standing at the edge of the lake. His feet are probably wet, and he can back up no further. And then Jesus comes up with a brilliant plan. He looks over, and there on the lake shore, he sees two fishing boats have been pulled up. The fishermen are sitting in the boats, cleaning their nets. It's obvious they've been out fishing the night before. Now they've come back. They're cleaning their nets. They're probably going to go into town, get a little breakfast, maybe sleep a little bit during the day, and then they're going back out on the third shift to fish some more. And so Jesus says to this, these fishermen, in particular Simon, we know as Peter, hey man, can you help a brother out? These people keep crowding me. I can't go any deeper in the water, but you've got a boat. Would you mind letting me get into your boat, sit up front, you just back off the shore a little bit, and I can teach these people and have a little space. And Simon's like, yeah, no problem. It's not like we got a bunch of fish to clean, got nothing else to do. So Jesus gets into the boat, Simon backs it out, and Jesus continues to teach. But when he finishes teaching, Jesus says the craziest thing. He turns around to Simon in the boat and says, Simon, let's go fishing. Right. Roll this puppy out into the deep water. Let's chunk that net over the side and just see what happens. And I love Simon's response. Look at Luke 5, 5. Master, which would just be a term of respect for any teacher. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. Now, I don't know about you, but I can just feel the sarcasm dripping off of Simon's words, right? You know, pay no attention to the fact that we are professional fishermen. Dude, we've been doing this since we were little kids. We know everything about this lake. We know everything. This is how we make our living. We know how the fish move, when to fish, where to fish. We know everything, but if you, and you're what, a carpenter? turn traveling preacher if you think we can catch fish then by all means let's go fishing now listen i don't know if that's what simon was thinking when he responded to jesus but i do know what simon is saying he's saying buddy we've done our best we've given it our best effort we've done everything we know to do and we've come up with empty nets and i think for many of us in our own journey to reach out to share to to make an impact in other people's lives have had that same experience because we thought oh this is the right person and the right time and i did it in the right way and everything made sense to me and nothing no response no reaction or we think about doing this and we're so freaked out about it we're like no way am i ever going to do that i'm not going to be talking to people about jesus that's just weird and awkward and i think the reason that we feel that way is because we feel like we got to do this on our own like god sits up in heaven and says all right people get out there and reach them and when you reach them bring them to me i'll be waiting here in heaven when you get back no God doesn't send us out to reach out to people on our own. God goes with us. 
He partners with us in this lifestyle of being a reacher, right? I think most of us would agree there are times when God is moving and working in our lives, right? We feel that, we see that, we sense that. We also need to understand that God is also working in the lives of the unreached, the non-believers, the hurting, the hopeless around us. He's doing things in their lives. And God will often orchestrate these strange encounters, these God-ordained encounters that seem as crazy to us as it did to Peter to go fishing in the middle of the day. And yet that's when God moves. See, here's what happens. When you let God lead you, when you're willing to, in faith, do what doesn't make sense to you, notice the result. Luke 5, 6. It says, when the fishermen did as Jesus told them, they caught so many fish that the nets begin to break. I was thinking about that a lot this week. And I just wondered, how many opportunities have I missed because it didn't make sense to me. How many people hurting and hopeless have I not reached out to because I thought, oh, they'll never accept an invite to church. They'd never want to have a conversation. They would never want to connect with somebody like me. See, when we try to do this in our own ability, our own talent, empty net. But when we just cry out, God, we don't know how to reach people. We need your help. He has a way of filling up nets that we could never fill up on our own. I, I guess what I want you to understand, the bottom line of what I'm saying, is that reaching out to others is not something that I do for God. It's something that I'm willing to trust Him enough to allow Him to do it in and through me, even when it doesn't make sense to me. Being a reacher, living the reacher lifestyle is beyond my ability. Number two, and this is a huge one, it means recognizing that the people are the priority. A key to being a reacher is recognizing that the people are the priority. Sharing our faith is not a religious task, it's not a duty, it's not some obligation we have to fulfill to make God like us more. It's just the result of really caring about people, of recognizing that the people around us are the most important thing in our lives. Imagine for a minute being Simon Peter. You are in the fishing business. Bad days fishing, bad business. Good day fishing, good business, good finances. He's just hit the mother load. He's caught more fish. They caught so many fish that it nearly sank both their boats. Jackpot, best business day he's ever had. In fact, if he and his partners didn't catch any fish the night before, it stands to reason that none of the other fishermen who worked that lake had caught any fish. So the market supply and demand has now dictated not only does he have more fish than he's ever caught in his life, but every one of those fish are super valuable. His whole world is about to change. This changes everything for Simon. He's got money in the bank. He can add new boats. He can expand. He could franchise. 
Peter's fish sticks all over Galilee. He has all of these possibilities. The best business day ever. And I'm blown away by how Jesus responds to this. Look at Luke 5, 9 and 10. Simon was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught. Duh. But then look, Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. This is a great day, Simon. But there's something bigger. And that something bigger is people. Let me just ask you a question. If you were trying to recruit Simon to join your little movement, to ask him to leave everything, leave his business, leave fishing, leave his hometown, and come and follow you, do you think it'd be better to ask him to do that when he's sitting on the shore with empty nets, tired and frustrated, probably wondering if he even knows how to fish anymore, or after he's had the greatest business day ever? When's a better time to recruit him to leave all that? Well, I'm not stupid, but I think it's when he's got no fish, right? When things are going bad in his business. Oh, yeah, might as well leave this. Why does Jesus wait until after he's caught all of these fish to ask him to leave it behind? Well, I mean, obviously, Jesus wanted to reveal to Simon and his partners who he was. No ordinary preacher, but I think there's something deeper going on there. See, I think in a way, Jesus is saying to Simon, look, you can spend the rest of your life in the fishing business. And you know what, buddy? It won't ever get any better than today. This is the greatest, this is the best it gets, living your life fishing. Or you could come with me and invest your life in something so much bigger than the fishing business. And that is people. Now now hear me. I'm not saying to be a reacher that you need to leave your job and become a traveling evangelist or a missionary in Africa or a pastor. What I'm saying is that maybe the reason you got that job, maybe the reason you're in that neighborhood, in that office, is because God wants to do something more than just put money in your bank to pay your bills. To pay your mortgage. Maybe he's got you there for a higher priority. And that is people. People are the priority. And prioritizing people, you know what that means? It just means genuinely caring about people. Lost, found, whatever. See, I think one of the biggest mistakes we make in churches today when it comes to reaching people is we care more about the reaching than the people. We care more about how many people we get to come in and be baptized or fill up our church or or how many notches we can put on our soul-winning belt. But caring for people, prioritizing people, means they matter to me no matter how they respond or don't respond to Jesus, to my outreach. That's what it means to truly care about people. Listen, years later... Jesus would say these words not only to Simon, but to all of his followers. Luke 19, 10. Jesus said, the Son of Man, which by the way is a phrase he often used to describe himself. The Son of Man came to find lost people and save them. What's he saying? He's saying, people are the mission. 
And the mission is people. Our mission on this planet is not just to build comfortable lives in our comfortable jobs and come to our comfortable churches on Sunday morning. And so Jesus is saying to Simon, and I believe he's saying to every one of us today, we have a choice. Every morning, you can wake up and make a choice. You can keep fishing for a better job, a better house, a better career, a better husband, a better wife, or you can invest your life in something that is eternal. And that's impacting the people in your life. People are the priority. And the best way, one of the best ways to prioritize the people that God brings into your life is number three on your outline. And that is to remember to focus on their potential. Being a reacher means you got to focus on the potential of the people around you. Because we have a tendency to see the people around us through the lens of where they are today instead of through the lens of where they could be tomorrow. We look at the people around us and the first thing we see are their issues, their problems, their struggles, their sin. Jesus looks at those exact same people and sees their potential. Great example. Another man that Jesus calls to leave everything and follow him, his name is Matthew. And when Jesus calls Matthew, what's unique about this calling is that it's not the way that he calls him, like with Peter in the miraculous catch. It's who he is that Jesus would dare call to come and follow him. Look at Matthew 9, 9. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Matthew was a tax collector. Now to us, we just think like an IRS agent, you know, just like a decent person. We don't really like them, but they're kind of a decent person just doing a difficult job. Not so in the first century. In the first century, a tax collector was a cheat, a thief, a turncoat. See, a tax collector would be a Jewish person who sold out their own people to make money for the corrupt Roman government. They would collect taxes from their friends and neighbors to pay off the Roman government tax, this corrupt government. And they not only collected taxes for the government, but they took in a lot for themselves. That's how they got paid. Collect more, have more money in your pocket. Human nature takes over. In fact, any time you see tax collectors listed, in the New Testament, they're always part of a list of like the worst of the worst, right? The sinners and tax collectors. They're, they're always down at the bottom of the barrel. So why would Jesus invite this corrupt, no good, turncoat dude to come and be a reacher? Because he saw past what was to what could be. See, let's be honest, church. The truth is, we get put off by the people around us who don't live the way we think they ought to live. We look at their lifestyle, we look at their behavior, and we don't like it, so we either avoid them, or worse, we walk past them, roll our eyes, and say, can you believe that person? You know why we do that? 
because we look at the sin in the lives of people around us and we get mad. Jesus looks at that same sin in their life and it breaks his heart. Why? Because Jesus is soft on sin? No. Because Jesus recognizes that the biggest problem with sin in this world is not the level to which it offends us, but it is the level to which it devastates the lives of the people trapped in it. That's why he sees their potential. See, as Christ followers church, we have to stop trying to be lifestyle referees of the unchurched people around us and just introduce them to Jesus and let him transform them from the inside out. That's where change comes from, right? In fact, look at Ephesians 2.10. It is God himself who has made us what we are. And he has given us new lives from Christ Jesus. Do you understand what that's saying? It doesn't say it, it is the condemnation and judgment of church people that changes lives. It's the supernatural transformation of God getting a hold of somebody's life and bringing hope where there's been no hope and purpose where there's been no purpose. Changed lives don't result from judgment or condemnation, but from God working in people's lives. And our job is just to introduce people to Jesus and let Him transform their lives. And that'll only happen if you start focusing on their potential. Aren't you glad somebody did that for you? I know I am. That somebody saw past this cocky, arrogant teenage boy who thought he knew everything and saw a wounded, broken child desperate for unconditional love and purpose and meaning in life. This week, a, a gentleman who's been a part of our church for probably over 15 years dropped off in my office a poem he had written as a part of the celebration of our church's 25th birthday. But it's really just the story of how God used this church to transform his life. I want to share just a couple of stanzas with you. She suggested we go. I followed with doubt. A handshake and hug. What's this all about? Walking in with my prayerful wife, thus beginning the best day of my life. Bring your joys, bring your shame. It grew and grew, more people came. All are welcome, found or lost, guiding them gently towards the cross. We came and went, roamed and roamed, then joined a group. They welcome us home. Open and real from the start, sharing our lives, opening our heart. The people and places felt just right. But still I drank, night after night. Lord, take it away, I cried and cried. 
but you're welcome here. Nothing to hide. Weight so heavy on my shoulder, such a burden like a boulder. Free from the darkest, they open the lock. Cedar Creek and Jesus removed my rock. Sharing love and laughter, shedding some tears. That's Cedar Creek Church for 25 years. One and all, you've passed the test. I brought my worst. You gave your best. That is what it means to be a church that looks past where people are and sees where they can be with a transformed life. And so the last thing I want to encourage you is this. This fourth thing on your outline is just understand that being a reacher requires a next step. It means taking a next step. Every journey begins with a first step, but that journey only continues if we're willing to take the next step. And see, many of us who have been a part of this church, we've been Christ followers for years. And there was a time back in the day when we were excited about what Jesus was doing in our lives. And we were excited about what Jesus was doing in his church. And because of that, we invited, we shared, and God brought more people into his family. But then it got big enough. It got comfortable. It got good. And we liked it the way we liked it. And our comfort has led to complacency. And our community is still filled with broken and hurting people. And I believe if that's you, I believe God has brought you here today to reignite the passion that he put in your heart years ago to reach out to those who have not yet heard. Some of us here today are brand new to this whole church thing, this whole Jesus thing, and we're so excited about the transformation that's happening, and we want to share it with the people in our lives, but we're not sure we know how. We don't even know. We don't understand what God is doing in our lives, so how could we share it with others? We'll just take a cue from our man Matthew. Look at Matthew 9:10. That night, right, he's been a Christ follower for four or five hours. That night, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to be his dinner guest, along with his fellow tax collectors and many other notorious sinners. He just threw a party. He didn't know what else to do. He just was excited by Jesus. He throws a party. He invites these new friends who know God. And he invites his old friends who are far from God, and he just lets God do the work. That's why one of the best ways you can reach out to the people around you is simply invite you to come to the party. And let me just tell you, next Sunday at Cedar Creek Church, we're throwing a party. We call it Easter. And we're going to gather and worship God. We're going to share a message that makes sense, that's relevant to lost and hurting people. Just invite somebody, Matthew. Just reach out when you leave your campus today. We've got these Easter invite cards. They've got service times and locations for all of our campuses. Grab some of these and then start praying now. God, who do you want me to reach? 
It may not be who you think it is. It may, you may be like Peter. You think you know how to do this. It may be somebody totally different. But just say, God, I want to be a reacher. I don't want to just spend my life fishing for the stuff of this world. I want to make a difference. And then reach out and invite them. And this morning I'm going to close with this last verse on your outline. Because I believe it sums up everything we've been talking about for the last three weeks. The Apostle Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 9, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessing. Who needs that blessing in your life right now? Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, I thank you for just real stories of real ordinary people that were willing to trust you enough to, to be done with the lesser things that have consumed them in this life and be a part of something eternal. God, I pray that heart for my life. I pray that heart for our church, for every one of us in here today, for those of us who have been following Jesus and been a part of this church for decades and have lost our passion, God, renew that passion. For those of us who are brand new and excited and want to be about reaching others, give us the courage to just simply invite them to meet you by meeting your family. God, would you light a fire in your church? Not for bigger numbers or bigger baptisms or bigger anything, just because you love people and you've called us to love them as well. And there's no better way to truly love the people around us than to share the hope we found in you. Father, make that true in my life and in the life of these amazing people here at this church that I love so much. In your name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.